everyone, and welcome to the first episode of All in Good Health, a podcast where we break down important global health issues and bring awareness to some of the world's most pressing health inequities. As global health students at York University, we aim to foster meaningful conversations and engage you in transforming the future of our world's health. My name is Laura. My name is Amtol. And my name is Giovanna. And we will be your hosts for today. We would like to begin our episode by acknowledging that the land on which we have gathered to create this content is the traditional territory of many Indigenous nations, including the Anishinaabeg, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat peoples, as well as the current treaty holders, the Mississaugas of the Credit First Nation. We recognize and respect the enduring presence and deep connection of Indigenous peoples to the land known as Takaranto, which is now home to many First Nation, Inuit, and Métis peoples. As we engage in conversations about global health, it is crucial that we reflect on the historical and ongoing impact of colonialism on Indigenous and non-Indigenous communities around the world. Land acknowledgements are merely one step. It's essential that we honor our territory's treaties, respect Indigenous sovereignty, and actively engage in reconciliation efforts. Wherever you're listening from, we invite you to reflect on the land that you occupy, its history, and the relationships that exist within it. Let us all work towards creating a future built on understanding, respect, and justice. If you're listening and have no idea what global health is about, don't worry, you're not alone. Whenever we mention to people that we're global health students, the most common question we get is, what is global health? Or what do you do in global health? And there's really no easy way to answer this. Especially because there is no universal definition of global health and the origins of the field are so contested. I see some people trace it back through history in its many iterations going from tropical medicine to international health and then eventually global health. Right, but on the other hand, some people credit the HIV pandemic to have really been the breaking force in the emergence of the global health field. Okay, but first and foremost, let's try to define global health so that we're all on the same page. Right. So as we mentioned before, the definition of global health is contested, but there are still some widely accepted definitions. And when we look at those, there are some common characteristics among them that really stand out. To me, the focus on population level parameters and interventions makes it quite similar to public health. So how does it distinguish itself from public health? What makes global health different? Well, the way it distinguishes itself from public health is in its scope. Global health emphasizes health issues that have implications which go beyond national borders. But it's not just about worldwide pandemics like COVID-19 or HIV-AIDS. It can be something more local, such as the water crisis among Indigenous communities in Canada. What makes these issues a global health concern is not solely their location, but more so the transnational determinants at play. And another aspect I would say that sets global health apart from similar disciplines is its emphasis on the equitable distribution of health rather than just the improvement of health outcomes or enhancing health services. Because if we look at international health, for example, we'll find a greater focus on high-income countries providing assistance to low- and middle-income countries in order to achieve better health outcomes. And although that sounds great, in reality, there can be a lot of unintended harm caused by this, and we can make a whole separate episode about this topic. And really, the fact is, the key actors of international health, such as high-income countries, tend to divert their attention outwards, rather than truly looking inwards and acknowledging the existing health disparities in their own countries. And while the first iteration of global health had a similar approach, we are now seeing a shift in the perspective where a greater focus is being placed on empowering low-to-middle-income countries and leading the charge towards a more equitable and healthier future. 
And in line with that, there's also been a greater push for high-income countries to address their own shortcomings when it comes to meeting the key objectives of Global Health. And those objectives include alleviating the burden of disease within populations, improving health outcomes for everyone, as well as achieving a more equitable distribution of health and the, the resources necessary to maintain good health. Overall, at this point, health equity has become a core value of global health as it exists today, and that applies to any country in any region, but achieving that is not exactly a walk in the park. Yeah, and that's because global health is such a multidisciplinary field that relies on the collaborative effort of people working towards equitable health solutions. And although such large-scale collaboration can bring great minds together, it can also bring about a great deal of challenges and barriers that many stakeholders are not equipped to deal with. And that's why global health solutions are not just black and white, as is nothing in life. (laughs) And this makes me reflect back on how we saw this unfold in the COVID-19 pandemic. Containing the spread of an infectious disease at such a large scale required an unprecedented level of global cooperation that most countries were simply not prepared to undertake. And beyond that, even the response from individual countries required a high degree of intersectoral collaboration, which we saw result in a drastic delay in policy implementation. And speaking of the COVID-19 pandemic, it really put a spotlight on the social determinants of health and how these differentiated the health outcomes of diverse individuals within the same populations. Ah, yes, the infamous social determinants of health. For those of you who are active in the field of global health, you've probably heard this term a gazillion times. And I mean, understandably so. The social determinants of health are a crucial framework to global health discussions. So I think it's really important that we take the time to solidify our understanding of it. Yes, and before entering the Global Health Program, I had honestly never heard of this concept. No, me neither. I had never heard of the social determinants of health before. And it may seem crazy because it seems intuitive how socioeconomic status, level of education, or access to healthcare all influence a person's health and well-being. But most of us probably never stop to think more deeply about how these factors shape population health or how there may be more factors or conditions that are influential to our health. And that's where the social determinants of health come in. As defined by the WHO, the social determinants of health encompass all the non-medical factors that can impact one's health. So think beyond the genetic susceptibility or pre-existing health conditions, metabolic risk factors, basically anything that falls in the stereotypical biomedical view of health. And instead, start thinking more in the direction of the societal structures that have an impact on the way that we live, the way that we work, how we operate in our communities, and those can in turn influence our health and well-being. If you take a moment to think about it, Where you're born and where you live can significantly shape your life trajectory, and it's not unreasonable to assume that it would have an impact on your health status. For example, growing up in an environment with high levels of pollution will inadvertently affect your health. And this can happen across countries as well as within countries where certain regions are exposed to higher levels of pollutants and subjecting those who live there to increased exposure and worse health outcomes. Let's use India as an example. It's the second most polluted country in the world, and research shows that air pollution reduces India's life expectancy on average by more than five years. 
But even within the country of India, we can see that air pollution does not affect everyone equally. Residents of Delhi, the world's most polluted city, experience an average reduction in their life expectancy of nearly 12 years. That's a seven-year difference between the country average and the city average. And that's crazy. That yes. is insane. I think this is... In a very similar way, your living conditions, including your housing situation and the neighborhood you reside in, can have a significant impact on your health outcomes. Because more often than not, people are living in homes with toxins such as mold or asbestos without even being aware of it or how it affects their health, especially over long periods of time. And besides these more obvious perpetrators, there's also certain low-key factors that have implications on our health, such as our ownership of our residence or our relationship with the owners even for those who rent. Yeah, and as you can imagine, having no access to housing at all has major implications on people's health as well. Um, although there are gaps in the current literature addressing health outcomes for people experiencing homelessness, an evidence brief by Public Health Ontario reported that multiple studies comparing the health outcomes of housed and unhoused individuals found that people experiencing homelessness suffered from higher rates of infectious diseases, mental health issues, and cognitive impairments. Of course, there's a lot to be said about the general way our society views and interacts with unhoused individuals. However, we don't want to go on too long of a tangent here, and we can make a whole separate episode about this if it's something you're interested in. Another social determinant of health that people often overlook and is related to the ones we previously discussed is social inclusion. The United Nations defines social inclusion as one's ability to participate in society, commonly emphasizing the need for equal access to opportunities and resources that allow us to each enjoy a good standard of living, particularly for disadvantaged groups. This largely intersects with the concept of social su support, which is essential to effectively coping with the stresses of life and building resilience. And a lack of these two factors, social inclusion and social support, can have a major impact on your health. Particularly in our key development years, experiencing social exclusion and lack of social support can contribute to adverse childhood experiences and, in turn, lead to negative health outcomes both in the short term and the long term. So as you can see, the social determinants of health do not exist in a vacuum. They are at a constant interplay with each other, and one factor can impact another to ultimately shape our health outcomes. Certain determinants, like socioeconomic status, have an underlying effect, and that they often predict the impact of other determinants, such as housing, education, access to healthy food, and so on. And it's important to emphasize here that these determinants do not recognize borders, and that's why they're so crucial to the field of global health. One important framework that acknowledges this intersectionality in order to address major threats to global health is the concept of One Health. Amtul, would you like to tell us a little bit more about One Health? I would love to talk about One Health. So I really like talking about it because this approach integrates the health of humans, animals, and the environment to propose comprehensive solutions to some of our world's most pressing health problems. And it acknowledges that population health is intertwined with the health of our planet and its beings and calls for intersectoral action to protect health. And what I find really interesting about this approach is that it helps us address issues that are very complex because they cross over so many different disciplines, which would make them very challenging to approach on its own. Exactly. And the example that really stands out to me is antimicrobial resistance, which is an issue that 
cannot be solved through isolated action from the World Health Organization or from individual pharmaceutical companies because there's work needed and help needed from all kinds of sectors, for example, the agricultural sector, economic or public health sector. So in other words, the One Health approach advocates for collaborative solutions, which include the expertise of professionals from all these different disciplines and sectors. And this reminds me of the impact of this approach in the creation of the Global Action Plan on Antimicrobial Resistance, so the joint effort of global health actors to effectively respond to the threat posed by increasing antimicrobial resistance. And was that action plan approved at the World Health Assembly? Yes, it was. It was approved at the 2015 World Health Assembly, and it outlines the steps that must be taken by different actors and sectors to combat this issue at both the national and global level. And I just want to point out that although we chose to focus on antimicrobial resistance today, it is important to recognize that the One Health approach focuses on a variety of issues and a key one being zoonotic diseases like the COVID-19 pandemic. And there's another approach that has been gaining a lot of traction lately, and that's the principle of planetary health. I actually discovered this topic relatively recently in one of my global health classes, and I think it's an important principle for understanding global health issues. Planetary health essentially recognizes the inextricable connection between our health and that of our planet. It emphasizes the consequences of unsustainable global practices on both our environment as well as our populations. And it highlights how environmental degradation and climate change will lead to an increasing deterioration of our health. And I feel like this all ties in really well with the United Nations Agenda for Sustainable Development, which has put forward, you know, the 17 goals known as the Sustainable Development Goals, which have been emphasized a lot in our global health program. And I feel like more broadly at your university, I come across the SDGs a lot. Absolutely. And the SDGs essentially act as a guideline for countries to create a healthier, more peaceful and more equitable future for all, which is what we also aspire to achieve in global health. And with that, that brings us to the end of our first episode. So to recap, global health has come a really long way and it's surely not going to stop evolving here. From its roots in tropical medicine and international health, both of which were largely influenced by colonial values, global health has become a collaborative network of people working towards equitable health solutions for everyone, everywhere. In recent years, the concept of decolonizing global health has gained a lot of traction, and it's our hope as aspiring global health professionals that we can successfully combat health inequities for all those who continue to be affected by any form of social injustice. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and we hope that you gained a better understanding of what global health is and what we do in the field, because I know it helped me, especially (laughs) writing the episode for months on end has definitely helped us solidify our understanding of what it is to study global health. And I think we feel better equipped to answer the question, what is global health? Thank you so much for joining us on this episode, and we hope you will continue to follow our journey as we dive into more fun topics in future episodes. To stay connected with us and receive the latest updates, follow our Instagram page at allingh_podcast, and we would also appreciate hearing your feedback or any ideas you have for future episodes, so feel free to message us on Instagram, or you can email us at allingh_podcast at gmail.com. So that's all from us. Until next time, let's remain all in good health. It's important to note that the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individual hosts and guests and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of York University or any affiliated institutions.
As university students, we aim to foster open discussions and welcome diverse perspectives, but these discussions are personal and independent. Our affiliation with the university is purely for identification purposes, and the content of this podcast is not endorsed or sanctioned by York University itself.